Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast exists because of the paid members at DecodingTV.com. If you want to get ad-free episodes and exclusive bonus episodes for the Decoding TV podcast and a cast of Kings podcast, sign up at DecodingTV.com. Thanks to everyone at DecodingTV.com who makes this show possible. Elendium. An uncommon name. From our western shores, is it not? It originates there. Pray tell, what does it mean? One who loves the stars. That is not its only translation, is it? In the ancient tongue of the Eldar, it can also mean elf friend. Then are you an elf friend? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen. And I'm Don Marshall. Welcome to this episode of the podcast where we are going to be recapping... The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Season 1, Episode 3, Adar. Uh, Adar is the name of the episode. We're going to spoil everything through this episode of the show. And I just want to set the expectations up top that um, this is a uh, Rings of Power recap show from the show watcher's perspective. Um, And so we're going to be talking about this primarily as a TV show, how well it functions as a TV show. But we're going to get a bunch of really useful information from... Don Marshall uh, about the show. But like, if you're looking for a podcast that's like going to be talking about it from the book uh, reader's perspective and it's going to be spoiling everything that happens, uh, this is not that show. Um, there are shows out there that do that. And I'd also recommend Don Marshall's other work online. Um, oh, well, thank for, you so much. Material. So, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to let people know kind of like what, what they're signing up for. Cause I think there was a little bit of confusion of like, Hey, if I've already know all the stuff, like why aren't you talking about it on the podcast? Well, we're approaching rings of power primarily from a show watchers perspective. Before we get to this week's episode, Don Marshall, there's a couple of uh, corrections, potentially potential mm-hmm. corrections mm-hmm. we want to make. Uh, and one of the things that you can do when you sign up at decodingtv.com is you can comment on uh, the episodes. And we got some really awesome comments uh, for our last recap episode discussing season one episodes uh, one and two. Someone named Baron TW writes in about uh, two topics that I want to bring up on today's episode. The first is Elrond's age. So in the podcast, uh, Don Marshall, you said Elrond is close to three or 4,000 years old at this point. But according to Baron T.W., uh, Baron T.W. writes, quote, Elrond was born at the end of the first age and was only 63 years old at the start of the second age. We don't know what, sh- what year the show is set in, um, but the show talks about how it's been centuries since Morgoth's defeat. Considering what Celebrimbor is doing, it feels closer to twelve or 1,300 years into the Second Age. So he could be as young as 400 years in the show, although more likely he's 1,300. Uh, but either way, probably not three or 4,000 years old, uh, yeah. which yeah. is uh, what you said last week. So what do you think of Baron T.W.'s age 
uh, recounting, Don. Baron T.W., you are almost certainly right, and my respect. So here's sort of where I was coming from in that perspective. Um, They are doing a time compression for this TV show. So the 3,000 plus years that is happening in the second age is going to be happening. A lot of the major events are going to be squished together. And I think I just sort of assumed that they were going to lump that all towards the end of the second age. But yeah, I did go back and and check and it is, it is centuries. So you are 100% right. And uh, I'm very interested to see if we'll ever get any sort of indication of uh, the time or the Mm. year that it happens. I don't think we will, uh, but you are absolutely correct. And uh, it is sometimes it is, it is nice to be humbled and, and put in my place when uh, (laughs) when I get something. Yeah. To be fair, you weren't coming out of note. You weren't just pulling that number out of your ass. Oh no, no, this is purely good reason you had a good reason for assuming it might be three or four thousand years because you thought end of second age but yeah uh the show making is making it pretty unclear like what time frame it's taking in it's ambiguous but i kind of like it that way baron tw also brings up a concern that uh i also was thinking about this past week reflecting on the first two episodes of the show uh and this is about the depiction of galadriel we touched upon this a little bit in last week's episode but i want to get into it a little bit more uh, so, Baron T.W. writes, quote, Galadriel is 2,000 years older than Elrond, and an unknown amount older than Gilgalad, who is her great-nephew. The interaction between her and Gilgalad was fine fantasy, for sure, but it wasn't in line with the character created by Tolkien. Uh, this is all established in the content the series has the rights to. It is only done this way to have her go to sea, wash up on shore, meet the people that she needs to meet for the plot. Um, in the book, she's been married for 1,000 years at this point, uh, but that doesn't play for romance in the show, which I get. But the show as a whole is constantly infantilizing her and removing her agency to have her as a token youngish warrior leading a band of six or seven elves being bossed around. Um, the character has this fiery nature to do the mission to the north, to stand up to others, to do what she wants, to even mista- make mistakes and piss people off for the drama. Um, this approach in the show is just a lazy option to just change her. As Dave said, a good prequel should improve the original, not break it. This isn't in line with the established character. Uh, anyway, and I'll, I'll stop there. He goes on for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and what I've seen is that uh, Galadriel in the books is older than all the other characters you see in the show. Elrond, Gilgalad, Celebrimbor. Mm-hmm. But in the show, like, all those people seem way older than her, right? Um, also, Galadriel in the books is super powerful, like, almost godlike powerful. So mm-hmm. you wouldn't even question why she could swim for, like, many miles off the boat, right? Uh, and... Uh, they clearly changed that for the show. Yeah. Uh, and I think that probably the journey they chose for the character in the show is more interesting. Like You're meeting a character who is not as powerful, who's going to come into her home, become more powerful over time. That's more interesting than you're meeting a character and she's already a complete badass and like... So, yeah, but yeah, but what do you what do you think, Don, of of, of these issues? So I I know that that is a a huge point of contention for uh, people in some people in the Tolkien community that they are sort of changing Galadriel's storyline. For me personally, um, I, Dave, I took your advice uh, in the no thoughts, just vibes for the <laughs> intro, and I'm going to relate that no thoughts, just vibes for the introduction, um, and relate it to Galadriel, um. Galadriel in Tolkien's established books and lore and the the canon that he wrote uh, doesn't really do much, right? She is very old and she is very powerful, but she's hanging around in forests, giving advice to people, and then uh, her and Celeborn uh, go hang out in Lothlorien uh, in in 
after after it's all over and that's where we see them in the fellowship of the ring movie um but i think from like um i always try and also look at it not just from a canon perspective but like a marketing perspective so when you've got this idea of a lord of the rings prequel you know the hobbits aren't born yet aragorn's not born yet gandalf may or may not be around i don't really know what the deal the stranger is a whole nother can of worms that will open up later but for galadriel I think it's a little bit more interesting from a narrative perspective for a 50-hour TV show to have this character be sort of like a younger hothead who will gradually transition to this elven queen badass that we see in Fellowship of the Ring. And I think that's a more interesting story for me personally. I get that that's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, um, but it is sort of the way the showrunners are going and you know unless they pull something ridiculous like galadriel goes to space and talks to god <laughs> which i don't think they'll do at all um then yeah i'm i'm fine with them uh finally yeah. giving her something to do uh so I, I think you're agreeing that in the context of the book she is uh super powerful but 100%. they've clearly depowered her for the show, right? And yes, and yeah. I think you know uh, the the trade off. You, you know, you put it as marketing. I, I agree with you; it is a marketing consideration, but it's also like a storytelling consideration. Like, oh yeah, what's what's the more interesting story to tell? And then, like, related to that is like, okay, now that you've told the more interesting story, like, what's the more interesting story you can tell that you can get people interested in? And certainly, the story of how Galadriel became super powerful, Cape Blanchett in Lord of the Rings trilogy is like a, a potentially like a really interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to call out that there is a trade-off, right? That you, yeah. you the trade-off is that you have basically depowered this super powerful female character, and that uh, in some ways you're depriving the audience of the opportunity to see Galadriel as she might have been depicted in the books, which is like uh, all these other dudes theoretically should respect her as being older and more powerful than them, but instead it's quite the opposite mm-hmm. dynamic in the show, right? Yeah. Um. So that is a trade-off. Uh, I agree with you. The, the story is, to me, a more interesting one of like Galadriel's growth over time. Like, I, I agree that that does sound like something a show I'd want to watch more. Yeah. Um, just just from a character journey perspective, because yeah. if Galadriel's already powerful, then it's like where where does she have to go from there? Like, what is what and is the, the growth, thing? Right? Yeah, like, she yeah. she doesn't. And and this is you know this is what Tolkien was setting out to do. I don't think there's necessarily a main character in the Second Age, which is why they sort of went with this idea of the ensemble cast. I think if they were going to do anything and like go back to the beginning, maybe Elrond becomes like the main character and we see his journey. But I, I, I think just in the interest of like a good story and from a marketing perspective, let's get the people that saw the movies. It's like, Ooh, young Galadriel, young Elrond. I want to watch that. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, thank you so much for your feedback at decodingtv.com. Uh, and you can also email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, Don is not above being challenged for his views on characters' ages. I welcome uh, and, uh, it. I welcome it. I relish it. the challenge, please. Yes, indeed. All right, Don, let's talk about season one, episode three. Oof. Uh, so start with overall thoughts. What did you think of this episode of the show? I, pl- pri- pri- uh, I pressed play on this episode and I had a moment of my my stomach dropping because i've already seen the first two episodes i've watched them multiple times i love the response and then i realized oh shoot it keeps going (laughs) and i was just this moment of panic 
because because you have you went to the premiere. You probably watched the first two episodes like three or four times, right? You did five. watch watch I've parties, five, yeah. Right, watch parties, and you're like, uh, you know, like for for weeks that has been the show for you. Yes, yes. And, and then, then oh, there's more. Yeah, yeah. Like I watched I watched the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, and it was two and a half hours, and then it was done. Yeah. And now I get to come back to Middle Earth every week, and there's this little bit of apprehension. I'm like. Oh, don't there's more. Don't mess, don't mess it up. It up. Yeah. Don't mess it up. Right? Don't mess it up. <laughs> and I'm happy to say that I I do not think they messed this one up either. Um, I think we we start off, uh, Galadriel's storyline, uh, continues to be very strong. Uh, sort of just waking up on uh this boat, uh, you know, being fed by Halbrand, meeting Ellen Deal, um who they they actually they don't name Ellen Deal until uh, a little bit later on in yeah. the episode so he's just like this looming uh captain but um really overall loved the episode I thought it was a decent episode uh here are some things I liked some things that I'm like hmm kind of mm-hmm. looking askance at right uh mm-hmm. I thought the Aaron Deer stuff was awesome i mean yeah that plot doesn't that plot doesn't move very much in this like not that much happens to advance the plot but it's just like uh, on a pure filmmaking perspective, I thought it was really well done. So yeah. I, I love the Aaron Deere stuff, just like executionally. Um, the Harfoot stuff, I'm kind of like, uh, is okay. Like, I'm mm-hmm. kind of curious where it's going. Um, there's some elements to it that, <laughs> some really dark elements to the Harfoot plot that we'll talk about. Uh, oh, yeah. But, oh, but, yeah. yeah. And then the Galadriel stuff, I'm a little bit worried about, Don. I think oh? because... A lot of stuff is happening in the Galadriel stuff, and some of it doesn't feel super motivated. Like some of it feels like, oh, stuff's just happening out of nowhere, and we're we're advancing the plot along, and we're we're relying a, a lot of no- lore that you may be familiar with, but that I don't know that like from a show archer's perspective is uh, is that clear? Yeah. So, and to me, yeah. it is a little bit. You know, it is sort of clear because I kind of have a better understanding right. of, of where they're going. So I can sort of. I think it's seeing the trees through the forest, or the opposite, whatever the case may yeah, be. Forest but, for the trees. Yeah. 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 But yeah, no, I I, I do agree. The, the uh, we'll get to the Harfoot stuff in a minute because I I have yeah. a couple of thoughts about that. There was some stuff there, but um, do we want to start with Galadriel? Yeah, let's start with Galadriel. I mean, the the one thing I'll say is like I'm curious about like. It really does seem to be setting up a parallel, you know, where have we heard this before? Uh, elven woman falling in love with human man who, by the way, just needs to recognize the true king he has within, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, you know, and maybe Tolkien's work is cyclical in that way. But like, it does feel like it's really trying to evoke the feelings of, you know, the original trilogy of films. May, may I share a brief possible spoiler theory that i have i know sure. i like to we like to, i know we like yes. to warn people yeah so um, you're going to use your knowledge of the you, you don't know the information of where the I have, story is going i have yeah. no basis yeah. for this whatsoever okay. just sort of what i know right so skip ahead 30 seconds to a minute if you uh, don't want my theory i think that the galadriel storyline is going to be a bit of a bait and switch um and here's why I think if they were going to reveal that Halbrand is this king of the Southlands that they introduced, um, then it's then it should have been at the end of season one, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a kind of cool plot twist that we can see. Like, oh, we're finally going to get to see why the Southlanders are the way they are. Um, but I have a sneaking suspicion that we are going to see Halbrand in a very different light 
either in the end of season one or at the beginning of uh season two or maybe even later um i don't trust him and the reason i don't trust him is and we're kind of skipping ahead in the plot line a little bit but um there was this one scene where he fought off a, a couple of men and the ferocity that he fought them with leads me to believe that there is like a very deep anger that dwells within him that to me seemed a little superhuman so that's mm. that's I'll I'll just I'll leave it there you know again I have no basis for this other than my own theories but here is my reaction because you wrote a little bit about this in the show notes too mm-hmm. uh, but here's my reaction Don oh my sweet summer child Don Marshall. <laughs> Uh, because Don, your basically reaction was, oh, the way they introduced him as the hidden king, it's too sudden. It's too sudden for it to actually make sense. And uh, I'll just say, to be as charitable as possible, Occam's Razor style, Mm. maybe they just rushed the introduction of him as the Southland King, and uh, and they're trying to, like, evoke the feelings of the original trilogy, and (laughs) as a result, feels like um, a little bit kind of Rather than they're for- forging bold new territory, they're kind of playing the hits of the past. Okay. Um, okay. But we'll see. Well, at the this is what's fun, Don. At the end of the season, one of us is probably going to be proven right or wrong. <laughs> All right. So let's we'll talk about Galadriel's storyline first because it makes up the bulk of the episode. Uh, at the end of the last episode, uh, Galadriel and Halbrand had been on a raft on on their own, and uh, somebody found them on their own ship and i was like who is that and you were like i know who it is and i assume it was who you thought it was it was um so ellen deal Mm -hmm. is the person commanding the ship isildur's father isildur for those who don't recall uh i think he is first introduced in the films in the prologue of the first movie yes um where uh, he is the guy that's supposed to cast the ring into Mount Doom, and then Elrond is with him, and then Isildur's like, you know what? I'm going to hang on to this thing. And he's like, no. And then Elrond's like, N- like very disappointed in him. Is that, am I getting this right? Yes, I will also just very briefly mention, um, I've gotten thousands of times I have gotten this question. Why didn't Elrond just throw Isildur into the lava to the point where <laughs> Uh, the catchphrase Yeet Isildur uh, became um, sort of a, a meme in, within within my, my TikTok community. Um, there's a reason he doesn't, um, but we'll, that, that is spoiler territory for show watchers, mm. so we will get into that a little later. Interesting, yeah. I, I should point out, he's also the guy that cuts the ring off Sauron's finger in the first... Uh, yes, in the first uh, movie. He's in the, he like cuts the ring off, and then he's about to cast it, and then he doesn't cast it. Yeah, so that's Isildur. We meet his father. He's the one that's running the ship that mm-hmm. picks up Galadriel, right? Mm-hmm. They go to Numenor, uh, the westernmost <laughs> lands, um, and it's like an island on its own. It's Tolkien's I, version of Atlantis, basically. Mm, interesting. Uh, and so we see Numenor. Was this depicted in the trilogy of films? I don't think so, right? Was it? No, there there may be. I'm trying to think. There was one reference mm. to it in the extended edition of The Two Towers where Eowyn says, you are one of the Dúnedain uh, gifted with long life. Uh, the Dúnedain, Aragorn and the rest of the, the humans that are the rangers of the north, um, are the the descendants of these Numenorians. Gotcha, gotcha. But yeah, we don't see the actual physical location. No, no. 
What good good pull there, Don Marshall. That's impressive, Thanks. man. Um, so, I didn't get this nickname for nothing. <laughs> so they go to Numenor. Um, sorry, I can't roll my R's as good as Morfid Clark does in the show, but um, uh, it's Morvith. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's beautiful. It's a really amazing sort of CG creation of this huge like there's so much detail in oh, these yeah. locations it's well, amazing they, they pulled out to that that wide shot where yeah. you see just it was like watching Minas Tirith times a thousand it was just yes. beautiful and you got to see it in multiple times of day too which is really impressive yeah you know yeah. so uh you know love just kind of the design continue to love the design and beauty of this world yeah and um, I, I will say just a, another if I may just chime in the set that they built for the the port where Galadriel and Halbrand step out onto the ship. That is real. Almost all of that is entirely real. They literally built that set. We, we heard about it at the, uh, the San Diego comic-con uh, hall H panel this year. And it was just seeing it on screen for the first time, knowing that it was all, you know, practical is yeah. just astounding. I think overall the show is doing a really good job of blending the practical and the CG. Agreed. Know? Agreed. Um, which not There's- many shows do. No, there was one moment this episode, but we'll get into that a little later. I, I didn't think it quite worked for me, but that's later on. We learned that Numenor is a land of humans. Uh, and it is it basically like th- there were some humans that swore oath to Morgoth, who mm-hmm. was the bad guy, uh, and the elves fought against Morgoth. And there's some humans who swore loyalty to elves, and Numenor was kind of uh, gifted to the men from elves as a result of their loyalty. Is that roughly correct? R- yeah, uh, pretty pretty close. <laughs> there's there's so many more really right. intricate, unnecessary details I could add, but for the sake of not being here for four hours. Sure, and there is some contention as evidence in the episode about like, mm-hmm. oh, how much of a gift w- really was it? Because like men earned this, uh, the men earned this island by fighting and dying for it, mm-hmm. right? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, we meet the uh, the queen regent. Yes. And uh, this guy named Farazon. What is Farazon's relationship to the Queen Regent, by the way? So uh, this is, I can only answer this from a book perspective. I don't believe we've gotten their relation yet, given in the the show. Um, But they are cousins. So Mm. uh, Muriel's, as we learn in the episode, Muriel's father was the king. He was pretty much exiled, and so she becomes Queen Regent, and Farazan is, uh, I think at this point in the show at least, an advisor. But they are, they are related in the books. They bring these folks in because uh, they want to know what's going on. What's going on with Galadriel and this stowaway Halbrand? Like what, what is happening with these people? Galadriel identifies herself as Galadriel of the Noldor, daughter of the Golden House of Finferin, or Finnerfin. Commander of the Northern Armies of High King Gilgalad, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, uh, you know, very reminiscent also of like how people in Game of Thrones introduce themselves. Yep. You know, yep. King Joffrey of the of Andals, House, Yeah, right, Joffrey House, of House Baratheon, first of my name and all that. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, you got you to gotta have a good sort of series of suffixes or, you know, titles at the end of your name whenever you mm-hmm. introduce yourself in court. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think you had a detail you wanted to point out about uh, yes, this Yes, right? I do. So uh, she introduces herself, Galadriel introduces herself as uh, Galadriel of the Noldor and the daughter of the Golden House of Finarfin. And Finarfin is Galadriel's father. And he was one of the elves that stayed in the Undying Lands, uh, which is that paradise land that we see in episode one. Um, he did not go to war. He was one of the elves that... Um, 
got cold feet and and turned back um for a number of different reasons but uh he is uh not in middle earth at all so galadriel is is sort of uh on her own at this point there is a lot of tension that's going on in this scene because i guess the idea is that elves are not really uh welcome in numenor or if they are welcome they're not allowed to move freely um, yeah. yeah, I think they did a really good job sort of explaining the um, the turmoil that is happening in um, in Numenor that will eventually down the road, you know, as a book reader, there's there's issues that will arise. Obviously, I won't spoil it here, but um, uh, the the idea that the sort of elves are not welcome, I think they set that up um, really well because there is uh, kind of like what we see between the elves and the dwarves in the Fellowship of the Ring with the Legolas Gimli relationship. There's sort of this like antagonistic relationship at the beginning. Yeah, uh, and we already get a sense of the tension between elves and humans from the first two episodes as well. Yeah. Right? Like the, the, yeah. the humans and elves have not had a good relationship in, in this uh, era of middle earth. Uh, and so Halbrand comes in, he's like, Hey, I have an idea. Uh, give us a few days and uh, think about, think about Galadriel's request. Cause she wants to get out of here. She wants to get out. of. She's going to fight the evil, right? Like that's what mm-hmm. she wants to do. And they're like, well, we can't just let you go do that. And certainly we can't let you like take any of our resources to do that. Um, so Halbrand's like, look, let's just give us a few days to think about it. Of course, um, Numenor, well known for a lot of things. Awesome outfits, yeah. beautiful, wa- beautiful waterfalls and statues. Not great security from what I can tell. No, nope, um, <laughs> she escapes immediately. <laughs> she escapes almost immediately. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me at all. Like, yeah. good for her. So she's about to escape. She meets Elendil, and then uh, they decide to go to the Hall of Lore together. Uh, mm-hmm. And this, this is, again, kind of what I was talking about earlier of like, okay, why is Elendil there? Why is he helping her? I, maybe that's going to become clear later. Why do they want to go to the Hall of Lore exactly? Um, I felt like it, it, it wasn't super well explained. But you, you tell me, Don, what, was this all clear to you? Like why this was all happening in the sequence? Yeah, so this um this is the Hall of Lore is sort of a setup for a reveal that we'll get to in a moment. Um, I do think they probably could have uh, explained it a little better, but uh, the relationship between Elendil and Galadriel was I, I quite liked it. She is you know a hothead, threatens to stab him, uh, he threatens <laughs> to turn her in. So there's kind of like a hey, you you work with me, I'll work with you. Um, but it definitely felt as though the Hall of Lore was a setup for uh, what we uh, later find out is the um the the mark of sauron right like they need to they need to get to the hall of lore in order to find out this very important fact basically that's going to motivate a lot of the actions of the rest of the show Mm -hmm. why she wanted to go to the hall of lore i guess because they were in the area um it it might help her find it's like you know i I think what ellen deal might have been trying to do here is like look just just stay don't try and escape immediately let me at least show you around and maybe we can help you but come come see what amazing wonders Numenor holds for you. Maybe then you won't want to leave immediately. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's like when you're visiting your hometown uh, or, or when <laughs> someone's visiting your hometown with you and you need to like, you're the one putting in all the work to like make sure they don't get bored. You know, <laughs> uh, look, we have an yeah. ice cream shop. We have a friendlies, you know, like. <laughs> Oh, anyway. <laughs> I haven't thought about friendlies in years. Oh my nor god! Nor I, sir. Nor I. Okay. We've we've got a friendlies. We've got a postcard shop. You know, like we've got a gift shop downtown. Um, right. Okay. So they go to the Hall of Lore. 
Uh, Real quick, because we we do get a little bit of things before the Hall of Lore. We finally see Galadriel smile for the first time Mm, when she is riding the horse. They're using what appears to be like a phantom camera, which can shoot at like a thousand frames per second, basically, Mm -hmm. and doing like Mm -hmm. ultra slow motion. It's it's extremely beautiful. It's indulgent. I didn't mind mind it. it. I didn't mind mind it at all. I I will say I did. When I I first uh, saw it, I was like, why is Morvith making a silly Oh, she's smiling. Oh, this is the first time we've seen that. Oh, this is just one of those scenes. Okay, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. I I mean, I think that she got like really excited when she's like, oh, we can ride there, you know? And I think the idea is that like we get a sense that she really likes riding because we haven't seen her ride horses in the show yet. I don't think. No, no. Yeah. So she really likes riding horses. She has the opportunity to do that and enjoys it. And it's nice. One of the things that people say a lot about the difference between Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings is like Game of Thrones, like every episode you're watching someone get like brutally tortured to death yep. uh, in some capacity. And Lord of the Rings is very much more like a hangout show. You know, we're, we're just hanging out with these people. They're going on little adventures and stuff like that. Yeah, no thoughts, uh, just vibes. Yeah, there's there's some stress, you know, there's some evil and things, orcs that need to be killed and so mm-hmm. on. But like, it's not nearly as vicious and brutal as... Uh, as game of thrones and um and it seems like this that kind of help accentuate that difference where she's just like i'm just having fun on my horse you know just yeah. enjoying riding horse across this beautiful vista and it's nice that we yeah. we kind of get that you know we get all those sides of fantasy right yeah uh, with both these shows on the air right now so yeah all right so they go to the hall of lore which is i think it's actually a hilarious name <laughs> um <laughs> for a place it's like this is if you had if someone was really interested in lore like don marshall and he built a testament to lore, uh, it would probably look something like this. It would probably be like, you'd probably hold little scrolls, like little wine bottles, right? Oh, like that little... sounds so cool. Yeah. <laughs> if I had the money, I would absolutely do that, but I'll settle for a TikTok channel. Yes, indeed. Uh, so it's revealed that Elros, Elrond's brother, built the hall. Um, Elrond's dad saved the world. Um, uh, well, actually, this is a detail you wanted to bring. Yeah, this yeah, is not no, the show. Right, no, no. This was this is a nice little nice little nod to uh, folks that know the Silmarillion. So, um, Elrond's dad in the end of the First Age uh, was a huge part of winning the war that they talk about in the Rings of Power prologue. Um, they don't mention him. I think it's a rights thing, but it's really not all that important. Um, but the little nice detail is uh, Elrond and Elros were given the choice to be among mortals or. Uh, immortals so elrond chose to be an elf and his brother elros chose to be human as sort of like a, a gift from the the valar the, the lesser gods that galadriel mentions um in the episode and um this is kind of why you see a, a sadness in elrond's eyes a little bit i know he's not in this episode um but elrond has has lost uh, quite a bit and when his brother passed it was it's not written about in a lot of detail um but it is you know it's it's a sad uh time for elrond because he realizes he's you know never going to see him again and but elros did some amazing things as the first king of numenor so gotcha so then the lore master comes in and there's like hey we found this piece of information like i think it was like a spy or something found this piece of yeah. information uh, uh, uh someone got captured and then that he was rescued and he remembers this symbol yeah so th- th- this is kind of like the complaint i was making earlier th- this co- podcast is like okay so it's a critical piece of information right which is like oh hey the symbol that sauron is making that's that's not that's no sigil that's no moon 
It's a space you know, station. <laughs> that's not a sigil. It's a map, you know? And yeah. that's a kind of cool reveal of, like, she sees the map. But it's like, okay, so this spy that I don't think we've ever met yeah. happened to have this piece of information at the exact time that they were in the Hall of Lore. Like, what if she decided not to go to the Hall of Lore? Would she have ever found, you know, it's like, okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what, she needed to get this information. Right. 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 And the information is Sauron's going to build a new society of evil people right yep. as far as i can tell yep and he's gonna start with the southlands right mm-hmm. which is what that what that sigil is or the symbol is of. yeah the is sigil that... is sideways we've we've been looking at it from the wrong perspective mm. each time which is you know oddly kind of like the little metaphor of the whole show it's like galadriel if you just shift your perspective a little bit in this case 90 degrees it's a map yeah why, why would uh why do you think sauron would carve that map onto uh Galadriel's brother's body, though, is Don. What do you think about that? David, that is an obscure <laughs> fact I do not have the answer to. So um, I don't know. The dude is a hidden cartographer, is really. He's just, he, he once he starts thinking about maps, he's just carving them everywhere onto people's bodies, onto. It's, I mean, he's basically leaving clues. Right? Yeah. Almost. <laughs> I go it, back to my first part about him being a serial, my first statement about him being a serial killer. Like he's, yeah. He's like, I left you all the clues, Mister Policeman. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Yeah. he's like taunting them. And and look, <laughs> does it make sense to me right now in episode three? Eh, not so much. But you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll find a way to sort of uh, get that sorted. I'm I'm gonna wait until. <laughs> I don't want to say season one is over because this definitely feels like a slow burn show. So like maybe season two or three that will be explained, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Anyway. All right. Also related to this storyline is Halbrand, mm-hmm. who uh, tries to become a blacksmith. And they say, you can't become a black. You can't smelt metal unless you have this guild badge. So he's like, OK, I'm going to try to get this guild badge. So he meets some people and they're kind of. I guess uh, there's some tension with the people of Numenor and their refugee policy, mm-hmm. um, or their prisoner policy, right? They're taking in these people and they're like, hey, why are you taking all of our resources, but you're not giving anything back to society? And he's like, drinks for everyone. And I'm going to steal your badge as well. Yeah. Um, so then there's this really intense scene that you alluded to earlier where they try to get the badge back and then he beats the shit out of all of them. Yeah. Uh, that was I don't know if you've seen The Witcher. The first episode of the season one of The Witcher has this incredibly brutal scene that really reminded me of this and kind of makes me think that Halbrand may be uh way more ferocious than uh, is led on, and we kind of see it in this scene. He destroys these dudes with a ferocity. And that caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, it's probably the most violent scene that's been in the show so far. I mean, people have died in the show and, you know, already, but it's like just in terms of sheer human on human violence, definitely like probably the most intense scene. So, yeah. Um, then he is put in jail. Galadriel comes, comes back from the hall of lore and is like, uh, Hey, come with me to, uh, to redeem both of our bloodlines is Mm -hmm. what she says. And the Mm -hmm. idea is that like, Hallbrand is the king of the Southlands, is what comes out of this mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you're skeptical. To me, this reads like rush storytelling and less sort of uh, putting in... Uh, this reads to me like rush storytelling and not a head fake for something else that's coming later. That's mm. my opinion. Okay, fair, fair. Um, I, I'm, in the, I'm in the head fake camp, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, man. You, 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 you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So, 
I guess the idea, if we're taking them at their word, he is king of the Southlands, and but he has kind of um, um, his parental line swore an oath to Morgoth, yes. the evil guy, the evil yes. guy, right? Yes. So he's king of the Southlands, and their, their people have no king anymore, basically, because he has not chosen to ascend to his rightful place because uh, he has great shame about the fact that his family is fighting on the wrong side. Is Which right? may or may not harken back to Aragorn's bloodline uh, that we see in the trilogy. It may or may not at all. Yeah. <laughs> Probably does. If yeah. I get. If I, yeah. The, the, the thing is, though, Don, okay, let's assume that this is, in fact, like that everything we can take everything at face value, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't the idea behind Return of the King is that there was no king until Aragorn came back? Right? So, or, or were there other kings in between this time and then? Right? So this this I think might be getting lost on um, folks that maybe don't know a lot of the details. We don't have a lot of information about the Southlands. And so what the showrunners, I think, did was they created these characters like uh, Bronwyn and Theo to be sort of the, the conduits for, hey, let's explore these people in the South. Because um, even though Tolkien doesn't have a lot of detail about them, it's still a part of the world that plays a part both in the Second you know, and the Third Age. So this is not, uh, as far as I am aware at least, Halbrand and the Southland kingdoms don't have much to do with aragorn's uh bloodline or descendants mm-hmm. we, we can consider it a separate country basically for yes all i think so i think so yeah so the idea is that we can be invested in this as separate from the events of you know the original trilogy mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. maybe maybe he is the real king and he becomes king of the southlands and who and aragorn doesn't care about any of that basically, <laughs> right? is 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 the idea probably mm-hmm. right so all right a couple of other uh, things happen uh, in and around Numenor. We meet Isildur, who is Elendil's uh, 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 son, right? Yes, uh, Matt played by Ma- Maxim Baldry. He is trying out to be a sea guard. Uh, what is that, Don Marshall? Do you know? What no idea. Is? They, okay, they made it? it up for the show. But oh wow! It, yeah, no, it's, I, I like it. I think it's a really cool idea. The 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 Numenorians are mariners, right? They live on an island. Their trade, their commerce, it's all based on 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 the sea. And I think to to give um, Isildur this kind of like uh, motivation to like be part of the guard uh, is is cool. But then we learn later in a in another scene he might not actually want to uh, do that. Right. I mean, <laughs> a lot of like family drama vibes in this episode of mm-hmm. hey, I want to take a gap year before I have, head off to college, um, or you know. <laughs> I want to go out. I want to go abroad in France before I uh, go back to the University of Pittsburgh or whatever. You know, like it's like <laughs> it's this basically kind of what it is. And um, and I thought it was fine as family drama. You know, like like here's the thing about the show, Don, is I am curious um, at what speed the show is going to continue to introduce new characters because mm-hmm. we are three episodes in and it is still introducing new characters and yeah. there's only five episodes left. And like at some point, you got to start wrapping up these character storylines for the season um so i'm hoping this is all the characters we're going to get for this season as as far as i'm aware i think this is it um i will maybe say i am of the opinion that maybe people should temper their expectations about a season having a character arc Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we may see a 
one season or potentially two season or three season character arc for these characters. I, I mean, I think that's fair, Don, but also I think TV shows should have season long arcs. You know, I happen call to me, agree with you. Call me old fashioned, Don Marshall, but I think that if you're if you're putting a season of TV out, that it should have a beginning, middle, and end, and that should be true for not not necessarily all, but most of the characters, right? So mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, so we also meet Isildur's sister, uh, Aarian. Aarian. Yeah, I right? think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, they kind of have there's family tension with like mm. Isildur, his sister, their dad, uh, and whether or not he goes to become a sea guard person, whether or not she goes to become part of the guild. I think, I think it's. Kind of I what... think it's a builder's guild. Yeah. I I'd have to go back and double check, but yeah, I think um, I think they they might be a a bit of a. Uh, a bit of the family drama going on there and which is to me fine because we are in a 50 hour tv show not a two and a half hour movie so like right. you need some lines of dialogue to kind of explain the journey these characters are going to go on yeah I, I i think it's fine um i'm curious where these are going but right now at this moment in the show I, i'm not too invested in like whether Isildur goes to become a sea guard or whether his sister becomes in the ability. Like, I don't know enough about what the stakes are to have an opinion, you know? Okay. But as, as a starting point, I think it's fine. Like, yeah. and all yeah. the actors are doing a great job. So yep. um, any other details about the Isildur family relationship that you want to mention? Um, yeah. So a couple of fun things. Uh, Ellen deals, uh, as we learn in the episode, his name means elf friend. Uh, I thought that was a nice little uh, scene. Uh, that was also a bit of a, a lore drop between Ellen Deal and uh, Muriel. Um, I I don't know if this is true or not, but there is a not zero percent chance that uh, Muriel may have just handed uh, Narseal the sword that Ellen Deal uses um, that we see in the uh, that we see in in the the trilogy uh, just then. I don't know whether or not that's true, um, but. I think it might have been just like very casually uh, dropped in there. Gotcha. We also see, speaking of swords and daggers, we also see, I think, Halbrand steals back yeah. uh, Galadriel's dagger and gives it back to her. They're really putting a lot of emphasis on the dagger this season, mm-hmm. uh, Don. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I guess it's important because she got it from her dead brother's body. So. Yes. Uh, okay. So that mostly covers the Isildur and Elendil stuff. Uh, again, it's a fine start. We'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, again, I'm like a little nervous at like how many characters there. Like, there's wow, there's more plot lines even than beyond mm-hmm. uh, from the first three uh, two episodes. We'll see how it goes. Um, there is a uh, teaser sort of at the end with Muriel where she goes into this room and she talks to her father. She's like talking to her father. I think mm-hmm. it, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So she goes in, hangs a lantern, says, "You know, father, the 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 moment we feared is is here." Yeah, uh, the moment we the elf has arrived, <laughs> as foretold right. in the prophecy. You know, there's a lot of prophecy. There's, I mean, the Harfoots have it in their little schedule book, and yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's that's Numenor, uh, a cool place, uh, kind of a uh, little mildly rocky start to some of these things. But I'm, certainly, I'm not. Uh, I'm very open to seeing where it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I liked how. Uh, Halbrand, like there's clearly like sort of darker elements to him that they're introducing that I think will be interesting to explore. So mm-hmm. uh, before we move on to the rest of the plot lines, we'll take a brief moment and talk about where people can find more of your work on the internet, Don Marshall. 
Yes, uh, I am at Don Marshall seventy two number seven number two on most social media platforms. I am on TikTok, which is my main platform, uh, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, as well as Twitch. Uh, you can just search my name. Uh, it comes up on pretty much every uh, search engine. Uh, I am also on Patreon. Patreon.com slash John Marshall 72. If you feel so inclined, there's a bunch of bonus content that I uh, put there. Um, I do also, and this is new, I just figured it out in between episodes. Uh, we're going to be doing watch parties for uh, the Rings of Power uh, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so if you, it's going to be considered a rewatch. So I'm going to be talking over it, taking questions uh, from chat. And uh, if you feel so inclined, uh, come, come join us over on my Twitch channel Sundays at 1 p.m. If you're enjoying listening to this podcast, you might also enjoy uh, the rest of the other shows that we're covering. We're covering She-Hulk and other exciting things in the future at podcast.decodingtv.com. You can also listen to my conversations about House of the Dragon over at acastofkings.com, a Decoding TV podcast. And if you want to support this show, because uh, you like what you're hearing, you want more of it, decodingtv.com is where you can pay to become a member and get special bonuses like ad-free episodes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay, Don, just a couple of other plot lines this episode. Yeah, we we didn't get everybody, which I think because they introduced the new people was probably yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Um, who who didn't we see this episode? Don we did Marshall? not see Elrond. We did not see Doran or Disa, which made me very sad. Uh, we did not see Celebrimbor. We did not see Gilgalad, which uh, I'm hoping we see next episode very much. Mm-hmm. And we also didn't see Bronwyn or Theo. That's um, true. Oh, that's true. We didn't see them either. Uh, no idea what happened to that evil dagger that he had. Like, I wonder uh, if it's doing more eviling in the world. Uh, you, know, you know, we'll, we'll probably find out next episode <laughs> or so. That's that's maybe a character arc that will uh, resolve this season. I think. <laughs> wow, you're making you're making that bold prediction. Now. I, you know, it's um, my hot take for the day. <laughs> we see Aaron Deer in this mm-hmm. episode, played by Ismail Cruz Cordova. Last episode, we saw he was being captured underground by an unseen monster. He was being whisked away uh and this episode again the way this was all done was really effective uh he's kind of being dragged through this weird lair yeah uh, it's like some sort of tunnel of some sort that they because the the orcs can't sort of be in the sunlight we learn and yeah so they need to basically cover the entirety of it 
Is that is that a show invention, by the way? Uh, that, that they can't be in in the sunlight. They're like vampire like. That is mentioned. I don't know a lot of the detail here, so I'm sure someone, maybe one of the comments, will be able to provide for next week. Um, but as far as I'm aware, orcs don't usually travel in sunlight. Uh, but yeah. the orcai that we see in the uh, trilogy can. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's it's. Uh, What's the difference between orc and orcai again? <laughs> uh some not so great implications about crossbreeding uh so gotcha. orcs are corrupted elves salron's master morgoth that we mm. heard about in the first episode um corrupted elves um but tolkien changed his mind about that quite a bit um in various other drafts um Orukai are uh they don't pop out of holes in the ground like you see in the movie in in tolkien's books um they are a crossbreed between humans and I orcs see. So they actually did like a good job of kind of eliminating some of the more problematic elements uh, in the movies, right? Yes. So yes. Whatever the case, however, whether it was invention for the show or inspired by the books, they burn in sunlight in the show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's being dragged through and you find out that the other elves have also been enslaved. Mm -hmm. right? The other elves we saw in the first couple episodes, which is like, wow. And uh, it's actually shocking because you're not used to seeing uh, elves being subjugated like most of the time that people have seen elves in middle earth it has been them completely annihilating orcs yeah um and so it's very weird to see elves being enslaved by orcs mm-hmm. uh, as you do in this episode and uh i kind of appreciated the subversion of expectations and yeah. the way this all played out like the set looks so elaborate like all these details oh these- so well done so well done this felt almost like a like a bottle episode where it only like obviously it was one story arc but like i'm kind of glad that they just like kept them in this pit it felt very like claustrophobic the orcs prosthetics are amazing yeah i they think they great. did a great job yeah um so the orcs talk about their leader uh who is Don adar uh adar. So- Adar, which is the elvish word for father. Now, I will uh, admit my own fault here because many, many months ago uh, when this was announced that uh, the character Adar would be here, I thought this might be Tom Bombadil because his name in the books is Yarwen ben Adar, which is elvish for oldest and fatherless. And so I was very excited, kind of like speculating that maybe we'll see a Tom Bombadil cameo could not have been more wrong (laughs) indeed Uh, and there's a lot of questions about whether adar is sauron or not like they're like it's it's often he sauron has uses many names and one of them might be adar you know because it's the orc speaking in their language Mm -hmm. and i don't know if you have an opinion on so sauron does have a lot of names um he is known as myron he is known as sauron the deceiver uh he's got a couple of others that may potentially be spoilers so i won't uh i won't bring them up right now um but myron was like his his sort of like spirit uh name um i i don't know if this is sauron though i'll be honest this feels like uh like maybe a nazgul origin story uh, one of the ring wraiths mm. um but we don't we don't get a lot of the the backstory for the the nazgul um so it, it they could be the showrunners uh doing that it could be something uh entirely different it could be uh uh like a, a a corrupted uh human or one of his servants it could be a corrupted elf it could be uh you know some gross horrible experiment gone wrong because sauron is eventually in the hobbit known as the necromancer so maybe sauron's 
brought someone back from the dead or uh, the, the possibilities really are endless here um, gotcha. with this character. So I'm very but curious not, to see. Not if a they slam do. dunk that it is Sauron at the very least. Not a slam dunk by any means. No. Interesting. Um, there's a, a couple of scenes of conflict and strife within uh, this camp. There is a scene where one of the orcs offers one of the elves water. And then you're like, Oh, is something wrong with the water? Nope. He just was using it to slit the guy's throat. Oh, the, old, that was... the old bait and slit. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's upsetting. It's an upsetting scene. And Aaron is yeah. like, okay, because, because the elves, by the way, from what I understand are conservationists. Oh, As we yeah. heard in this episode, you yeah. know, they don't want to destroy these long running trees. And I thought it was fascinating to see like the wide shots of, of this whole area, like you see, there's this like massive trench basically mm-hmm. is what it is with like camouflage from the mm-hmm. sun or, you know, sun camouflage is, is, is really kind of, yeah, it's like impressive. an awning over this, yeah. this huge tunnel that they're digging. That is just. I'm, Architecturally I'm it's a, it's massive or engineering wise. It's a massive. Oh yeah. Uh, it's huge. Yeah. Which, which also is a, a nice little callback to something that you mentioned, uh, last episode, David, where we see in the title sequence, the black sand slithering through the other sand, almost as if it is a, a tunnel or a trench. Mm. And, uh, this kind of made me think of, oh, maybe that's the visual representation. So again, yeah, I, maybe it is, maybe the opening credits are a bit more representative than you think, Don Marshall. You know? I perhaps was too quick to judge, David. You were quite right. <laughs> Um, my wife agreed with your assessment, by the way. She's like, oh, okay. I, I really wish the opening credits helped us understand where we are in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a scene in this episode, I don't know if you recall, where like it goes from Numenor to the Southlands. Yes, they used, they used a the map. map to do that. And I think that's mm-hmm. actually super helpful. Like, yeah. definitely keep doing that show because 100%. I'm going to need assistance to figure out where I am. So, anyway, um, so there's this whole conflict with the orcs, and there's actually one orc that was played by a very specific actor that you yes. noticed, right? Yes. So this actor uh, is named Jed Brophy, and if you don't know who Jed Brophy is, uh, you probably won't even recognize his face either because he plays a number of characters in the Peter Jackson trilogy as well as The Hobbit. So he is Nori, the dwarf in The Hobbit. He also plays a Nazgul. Uh, he plays an orc. He also played the warg rider orc that we see in The Two Towers that tells Legolas that our Gorn fell off the cliff. He's a writer of Rohan. The, the man is is a prolific uh, actor, stuntman, coordinator. Just I, I've been lucky enough to actually meet him. The nicest guy, and we'll just sit down and talk to you for ten minutes and just you know shoot the breeze. And it's it's uh, very cool to see that they brought him back. I thought that was really well done. It is interesting to see the ways in which there's continuity between this show and. Uh, and the films mm-hmm. uh, bringing in actors like Jeb Brophy is one of the ways they do that. Uh, also, I don't know if we explicitly mentioned this on the episode last week, but Howard Shore does the theme for this show. Bear McCree yep. writes the music, but Howard Shore wrote the actual song that plays over the credits, which I thought was, uh, I, I, I uh, thought was a nice touch. You know, yeah. it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful theme. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just to have anyway. him there, even, even just a little bit is nice. Yeah. But, I, but basically I think like, they're clearly trying to play off our memory of the original trilogy of films, mm-hmm. right? right? In, in clear ways. And I think that, you know, whether or not Hallbrand becomes part of that, <laughs> it's going to be going to decide whether you and I, you or I are correct. Uh, but there is a, there is an amazing fight sequence to this episode that I really loved with like them using the chains and then them like 
interlocking the chains and like use you know like yeah. hitting them with axes trying to get free and Aaron Deer and his buddy are trying to get out and it's like uh it was a, it was an awesome sequence i was like this is i this love is awesome. that yeah like, i thought that was great and breaking down the you know the structure and kind of yeah, all when he jumps stuff. off of the chain and does that yeah, like yeah, huge oh. leap I love yeah oh Badass, so yeah. that was that was to me that was the moment where like the 12 year olds who are watching this show uh, my equivalent of like watching like a lost surf down the shield in the two mm-hmm. towers yes uh i thought we already said that the equivalent of that was uh galadriel taking out the uh, the sword jump on the, uh, the oh that's there. true uh both yeah. both yeah. any anytime an elf <laughs> does something cool this is like when legolas took down that gigantic elephant style thing no i'm mm-hmm. just kidding. anyway <laughs> We don't need to keep relating it back to the original trilogy. <laughs> anyway, uh, they bring out the warg, which is oh. giving. I wrote uh, in my notes, this is giving uh, hyena from the Lion King vibes. Yeah, but, yeah. The know. wargs look very different from what we see in uh, in the the trilogy. Um, I wasn't too crazy about the CGI, I'll admit, but I was also very taken aback by the the appearance of the warg. It scared the crap out of me when I first saw it. Like the eyes for me just felt very like. Ah, that's very <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice warg impression, Don. Thank you. And it's yeah, straight up, it's straight up like murders like at least two dudes. I think. Yep. In yep. the in the episode, so it's pretty brutal. Uh, and uh, and it ends in complete failure. Um, yeah. You know they and he sees his friend get shot to death, uh, Boromir style. I thought. Yeah, right? I I was very it was very reminiscent. I thought of the Boromir scene where we just look up and we're like, he's escaped. Why is he standing there? Oh. Oh, and then he gets hit with another one, and I'm just yeah. like, "Oh, you you did that on purpose, showrunners yeah. and directors. How dare you?" Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, they're referring back visually and with some ideas to the trilogy, but not like explicitly. They're not mm-hmm. like they're mm-hmm. not like remember when Bo- this happened to Boromir? You know, they don't say anything like that. Or yeah, or, no, but know. it's it's very much a visual cue that I yeah. think is a, a nice nod to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it is kind of this. I, I like this whole sequence because even though it didn't really move the plot along, uh, it's this whole idea of, oh, they're struggling so hard against something and then still didn't work. Did nothing yeah. happen. And that's, yeah. that's a really effective idea that's conveyed by this plot line. So, uh, and then they take him to uh, their leader at the end. Yeah. Mr. TBD. Blurry Man. Uh, TBD, we'll who see. that is. We shall TBD. see. Yeah. Final plot line, the Harfoots. Uh, they're walking through the forest. They're, they're chanting, nobody goes off trail. Nobody walks alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, which apparently is part of their culture. Yeah, I thought it was just like one of those really cheesy lines from the the first episode that like maybe uh, uh, Nori's stepmother didn't deliver uh, great, but it was it's it's a mantra for them. And I thought that was kind of like a nice. The show keeps doing things that like the things that I wasn't crazy about, um, like the title sequence with the little black sand snaking through, bringing it back up as a a a. Uh, a different frame of reference that yeah. made me sort of appreciate it more. Yeah. And not too much happens in the, the Harfoot plotline this episode, but I will say, I, I have to say I found it almost comical the entire Har- Harfoot plotline, but not necessarily in the way that's intended because the whole time it's like, is Nori's dad going to be able to join the caravan? And Harfoots are, the sweetest characters in the show, as far as we can tell so far, they're all, they love life and they're all, you know, they care about the kids and everyone being part of a community. And what is hilarious is, and now it's time to read from the book of all those people we left behind who died horrible deaths. Yep. <laughs> yep. And it's like, 
I was like, Shirley Jackson's the lottery almost. It's like, <laughs> it's like basically like, yeah. Oh wow. Like this like nice town. And, but by the way, sometimes we leave people behind and they die horribly. Yeah. And like now let us pay tribute to them. And it's like, Oh, and it just so happens to be the very concern that Nori's dad has. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I thought it was unintentionally comedic. But what did you, what did you think of the fact that Harfoots do not suffer fools gladly? They will decaravan you, which, by the way, means almost certain death. Yeah, uh, what it do you was think? It, it was brutal to me. Like I I know that like <laughs> that when they read from the book, some of them are like natural disasters. Like we we the, the I think I agree with you on most of the Harfoot stuff. One of the probably more heartbreaking or emotional parts was when we find out about Nori's friend Poppy and how she basically lost her whole family. And that was to me very, very sad instead of uh, kind of comical in that moment. I think uh, Megan Richardson did a great job in that scene with her facial expressions as Poppy. Um, But like, Oh my God, the Harfoots are kind of brutal. And it was so jarring to like, see that I'm like, Oh my God. No. Is this, is this, in the books at all done is it like mm-hmm. hinted at all that they just leave people behind to die if uh, they're not feeling well no i i don't this is like this is like freaking spartans in like 300 where they just like <laughs> they throw their unhealthy babies off of the cliff basically, yeah right? yeah <laughs> I, look i got i got nothing for you other than like it was <laughs> such a shock seeing that that i just like i openly was like oh Oh, no, 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 no. I don't like that. It's just, it's this bizarre incongruity of, oh, these are the most wholesome, like, if uh, if the people at Numenor were like, hey, we're leaving people behind, I'd be like, oh, that makes complete sense. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but Harfoots are like, yep, sorry, you get left behind, you're dead. It's like, it it just is so dark compared to everything else about that plot line that it's really, but I think the reason they did it is because they need to generate some kind of dramatic tension for for the thing but couldn't the dramatic tension just have been it's going to be very inconvenient and uncomfortable and awkward for everyone if like the dad is lagging behind you know did it have to be literally the whole family might die i i have a i have a sneaking suspicion that the reason they did this is to incorporate the stranger a little bit more um in that you know we we see he's gonna help them he's gonna help them pull the cart yeah and i think there's gonna be uh a little bit more there i will wait and see uh whether or not this sort of like uh almost brutality uh comes back up again um mm-hmm. but yeah it, it felt very uh disjointed compared to what we know about the harfoots it's like oh by the way not everything is so hunky-dory and good to go uh the stranger emerges from hiding during this reading of the list of dead people and uh interferes with her and you know the whole deception comes out uh, mm-hmm. which I thought it was like I was surprised that it came out this early, and it wasn't clear to me like wh- are the rules that strangers are not allowed within the caravan, and that the stranger would... helping them is going to be like on the down low, you know? It was kinda, yeah. I don't know. the The one thing I will say that they I think got really right is uh, the hobbits in the third age, like in the Peter Jackson trilogy, very xenophobic. They don't want humans mm. who they refer to as the big people. They don't want them there, right? And leave yeah. leave them to their business. Bilbo, I think, does occasionally like have dwarves pop by in the books at the very least. Uh, just as like friends and and visits, um, but for the most part, that's like very taboo, very like mm, yeah. Don't so do they're that. gonna be, uh, I guess, the stranger helping them out. He's just gonna hang back and be in the in the weeds a little bit, yeah, uh, and yeah. hopefully unseen. I will say, like the design of all the hats 
and the caravan is really those. like with all the straw sitting sticking out is like really cool and like all the Harfoot design stuff is amazing. Like it just mm-hmm. it just really feels lived in. It really feels like these people kind of are have integrated themselves into the forest in like a very meaningful way, as so as to avoid detection. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that that stuff is really great. So, mm. anything else you want to say about the Harfoots, Don Marshall? Um. I'm I'm maybe a little bit less curious about the the Harfoot plotline now, um, and I think again it's just going to harken back to the uh, who is the stranger, which you know was the same question we asked last time. Um, but again, the, has your opinion on who the stranger has changed since last time? Didn't really get too much of a uh, of a of a, a hint at any more details of who he might be. So no, I I still am up in the air about him. I will say that uh, something so. In TV shows, the previously on... I don't know what your opinion is on previously on stuff, Don. I, um, I kind of didn't want them to have one here, but well, I get why they did it. The thing about previously on... I'm very, I'm very ambivalent about previously on. Because on the one hand, it's actually legitimately helpful. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't remember that scene. Or I didn't remember that moment of dialogue. On the other hand, previously ons can often telegraph what is going to happen in this episode. Yeah, like, yeah. If, Oh, a character from season one shows up on the previously on, and we're in season six. Like, didn't that probably, happen in Game of Thrones when yeah, when uh, Joseph Malway, Uncle Benjamin came in? All the time, yes, all the yeah. time. That kind of stuff happens, right? Yeah, yes. very very good. You know, Don, you really good with the pulls this week. Um, well, well, that's. I mean, that's that's because a part of the reason I know that is because um, Adar is played by Joseph Malway, who plays oh, Uncle Benjamin. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. So. Anyway, in this episode, uh, the previously on. So anyway, I'm torn about previously ons. Okay, yeah. because I think they're kind of spoilery. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And before you even see the episode, one thing that happens in the previously on is you see the fireflies from last episode. Like it shows how he manipulated the fireflies, and the fireflies died. Yes, like you, you see it in this episode. Um, and Poppy is very upset that they died. Right. And she brings it up again this episode and Nori says, oh, it was an accident. Right. And I think we're meant to take Nori at her word that it was an accident. And so that therefore the stranger is a force for good and therefore is probably not the Balrog as he speculated last episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm less convinced he's the Balrog now, given that he's, you know, helping everybody. And look, if it turns out that everybody guessed that it was Gandalf from the beginning and they don't reveal it until like the end of season five sure let's let's have that happen but you know what i'm I'm down for the ride i'm down for the journey i think we'll know by the end of the season whether it's gandalf or not is my i really guess. hope so i really hope so it's, they're, they're probably saving it for a season seven or eight reveal is my guess so, <laughs> uh anyway that is the episode uh so a lot of big open questions right uh specifically what's going to happen with a stranger in the harfoots uh is aaron deer going to get out of the situation alive is Theo infecting his whole caravan with this evil stuff that's going around on this dagger? Uh, Galadriel is Galadriel going to break Hallbrand out of jail, and they're going to go back to the Southlands to defeat Sauron? Right, that's I think the, the big question in hand. Yeah. So uh, we will see how this play out on the next episode of the Lord of the Rings: The Rings of Power uh, and this podcast, Decoding TV. Again, find more episodes at podcast.decodingtv.com and find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash decoding tv and also on tiktok tiktok.com slash at decoding tv he is don marshall i'm david chen we'll see you next week bye-bye 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.